0: The following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. In the book of Galatians, Paul has been teaching us just how important faith is over the law. Jordan talked about this morning, Paul has been, and what Stacy said last week, Paul has been beating the dead horse uh, of preaching faith over law, faith over law, faith over law over and over again showing us that the law cannot save. That was never its intention, and no one can even keep it. That faith is what saves and what leads us to Jesus Christ, who is able to atone for our sin. And uh, sometimes this, you know, we, we believe this. We, we have a, we have a, we're okay, we're okay, I see this. I believe that faith is what I need to be doing, I need to be trusting him. But we also recognize, and I recognize here today, that that's not easy. It's not always easy. Um, Sometimes as we walk by faith, following in obedience to his word, we encounter hardship, um, affliction, suffering. Um, I'm not naive enough to think that the people that sit in this room here today don't carry many of their own burdens. Some brought on by your own sinfulness and foolishness and mine as well. But others where we are just feeling the affliction of the curse and the things that are around us and not understanding what's going on. Um, I know that this is true in this room. Some of you have sick family, really sick family. Your children, your parents, your uh, people that are attached to you and friends. Others of you are in the process of losing a job. Others of you are still trying to find a job. Others of you are still trying to raise kids for the glory of God. I know and understand, and and I don't know all of your struggles, but I know that each of us, as we go through this pilgrimage called life here on earth, that we struggle and understand that there are afflictions that c- sometimes come upon us. Um, so f- suffering and hardship for a Christian are real. It's part of life. It is going to happen. But this morning, and I could go to countless truths throughout Scripture, we could just nestle in and work through some of these and love and just cherish these. Today, um, as you see, Stacy's not here. I'm literally filling in. He called me. We, we started texting In the morning yesterday, around 12 or maybe 2, we decided that I would preach because Stacy's sick, so pray for him. So what I'm doing today, though, is going to be a repeat of Course Seminar that we did. Now, there was not even like a third of the people that are in this room at Course Seminar, so I'm not really too worried. Most of you haven't heard this. But what we're going to do is work through Job. We are going to try to answer one question. The answer that we are looking for will be to the question, was Job Right? Was Job right in all of his dealings? So I want you to open up your Bibles. Go to page 417 if you're using those black ones in front of you. Otherwise, look at Job. Job has 42 chapters. I'm going to preach all of them this morning. That's more excitement than the last crowd. Okay. That is a joke. Uh, Apparently a bad one. Uh, But what we're trying to do today is look at the question, was Job right? Let's start by understanding the person. So open it up. Let's go right to the beginning. Chapter 1. Start at the beginning, a very good place to start. Verse 1 through 5. Let's start here. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep. "'3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, "'and very many servants, "'so that this man was the greatest "'of all the people of the East. "'His sons used to go and hold a feast "'in the house of each one on his day, "'and they would send and invite their three sisters "'to eat and drink with them. "'And when the days of the feast had run their course, "'Job would send and consecrate them, "'and he would rise early in the morning.' And offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed. Cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. We meet Job. The first, first thing that we hear about him, that first verse, what is he? A man that was blameless and upright. One who feared God and turned away from evil. I, wish, I hope that this can someday be said of me. <laughs> I would love for this to be my title. This is amazing. He's blameless, upright, one who feared God and turned away from sin, from evil. And as we go down, we see that his, his children do this feasting. And then he goes and he sacrifices for them just in case they sinned. Continually, he is doing this, being diligent about being blameless and loving and knowing God and p- preparing himself to be before him as the creature that he is, blameless before God. So we see Job fears God but what comes from it, we see all this blessing. He has 10 kids. He has seven daughters. I mean, seven sons, three daughters. He has like 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. So much so that it comes out and they say, he, this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. There's no one quite like Job in the way that God has blessed him. He has feared the Lord and what has come from it. Good blessing. He has had much. He's been given much. First part that we'll understand about Job. Job fears God. He's given much. Let's continue. This is not. We know the whole book of Job is not like this. Start in verse 13. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking with, with their wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came and across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. What's Job's posture to God? He fears Him. He obeys. Even at the end, in all this, Job did not sin. Skip down to chapter 2, verse 7. Let's go back there for more. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head and he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he had sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold faster integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, catch us again, in all this Job did not sin with his lips. Job fears God. God blesses Job. Job fears God. God takes all of his kids, all of his livestock, everything. No sin. Job fears God. What happens next? Job suffers even more. From the head from the head of his, you know, from the top of his head to the bottom of his foot, he's covered with sores and he's scraping them off because they're so painful and irritating. He's been stripped of almost everything in his entire life. And this is what we come into. Now, I I skipped over a few little things here. You probably know the story, and for the sake of time, I'm going to skip over this part that Satan comes to see God, and God is the one who calls out that Job is the one who fears God and turns away from evil and blameless and is upright. Have you you tested him? And God is the one that allows this to happen and shows that this is going to happen. But I want, us to, I want us to think about sitting in the, in, the, in the chair of Job here. He doesn't know that conversation happened. He has no idea. All he knows is, I did right, and I got a lot of stuff. I did right, and then it was all taken away. I continue to do right, and I have sores all over my body so that I am miserable. I have nothing in my life that is good right now. It's all been stripped away, and nothing on that left, on that left side of the page all the, the, the inputs were all the right ones. I didn't do anything wrong, and all I'm getting out is misery. And he worships God. Three friends come to visit. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. If you didn't pick up, you're going to need your Bible a lot today. I'm going to go literally through the whole book. Now, there's going to be stuff I don't, we'll skip over here, and we'll talk about that. But, verse 11. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, They came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes, and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven, and they sat with him on the ground seven days, and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Remember as we begin here in chapter 3 that Job has no idea of the conversation that happened between God and Satan. All Job knows is his state before God and what's happening. In chapter 3, let's look at chapter 3, we're going to see Job react boldly, sorrowfully, lamenting even his own birth and acting like he does not deserve what he's getting. Look at verse 25. For the thing that I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Now, his first friend is going to speak. Friend. Speak wisdom to him. Chapter 4 and 5, Eliphaz responds, he is offended that Job would think that he has been wronged. Look at verse 7 and 8. Chapter uh, chapter 4 here. Remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or, where were the upright cut off? As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Look over in verse 17. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Look at 5.6. This hints at Job's suffering that it didn't come from nowhere, but rather that it was, had an origin. In fact, it's you, Job. Look at verse 6 of chapter 5. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. Go on to verse 17. Behold, blessed is the one who God reproves. Therefore, despise not the, all, the discipline of the Almighty. Job, you better be counting your lucky stars that he is chastening you. He's disciplining you. You're not getting it, Job. God loves and chastens the Almighty, so be thankful. 5.17 tells Job to stop complaining about God's discipline. In chapter 6, though, So flip over, here we go, in chapter 6, Job continues to boldly request the end of his suffering. He is not satisfied with the answer of his friend. He wants to end his life, but all the while he's declaring his innocence. Look at verse 24 in chapter 6. Teach me, and I will be silent. Make me understand how I have gone astray. How forceful are upright words, but what does reproof from you reprove? Do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? You would even cast lots over the fatherless and bargain over your friend. But now, be pleased to look at me, for I will not lie to your face. Please turn. Let no injustice be done. Turn now. My vindication is at stake. Is there any injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern the cause of calamity? Job responds in defense. Another friend comes by, Bildad. He's going to speak his bit of wisdom. Chapter 8. Bildad is readily going to give it to Job and his claim of innocence. Look at verse 1 in chapter 8 through verse 7. And Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long will you say these things? And the words of your mouth be a great wind. Picking up the same thing he talked about the wind. Does God pervert justice or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. And though your beginning was small, your latter days will be very great. Look at verse 13. Such are the paths of all who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish. One more thing from Bildad. Look at verse 20. Behold, God will not reject a blameless man, Job, nor take the hand of evil doers. Job, this isn't making sense. You, you, you claim to be innocent, but God doesn't work that way. This can't be the way it is. Job will not stand for it. Look in chapter 9. Job admits that he cannot stand right before God. Look at verse 2. Truly I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? But he proceeds to continue to hold that he is right. Look at 15. Keep going down. Though I am in the right... I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. Look at verse 17. He's saying now that these things come on him without cause. This one is crazy. For he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He's looked at the ledger of his life. God, I've done the right things. I'm blameless. And yet over here, I'm getting crushed by the tempest. What's up? I don't understand this. I can't understand this. And his friends are sounding more like wind than he is. Job responds again. Look at verse 20 through 22. Though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. I am blameless. I regard not myself. I loathe myself. It is all one. Therefore, I say, he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. Job pleads with God on account of his blameless daddy. Look in chapter 10. Verse 1 through 7. I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, Do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands, and favor the designs of the wicked? Have you eyes of flesh, God? Do you see as a man sees? Are your days as the days of man, or your years as man's years? That you seek out my iniquity and search for my sin? Although you know that I am not guilty, and there is none to deliver out of your hand. Do you know who he's comparing them to? His friends. <laughs> he's like, are you like my friends that keep like saying these things about me? And obviously the rhetorical answer is, no, of course not. That's not who God is. But Job is trying to understand, how is this so? How has this come about? We go on. Look with me at, uh, at chapter 11. Zophar explains that Job's claim on innocence is fruitless and that Job is getting less than what he actually deserves. Look at verse 1. Zophar the Namathite answered and said, Should a multitude of words go unanswered and a man full of talk be judged right? He's talking about Job. Should your babble silence men and when you mock shall no one shame you? For you say my doctrine is pure and I am clean in God's eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you, and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for he is manifold in understanding. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Job, obviously, you're guilty, and you deserve much worse than this. In fact, here we move forward and see that. (laughs) This is exactly what they're going to continue to talk about over and over. And Job's going to respond. Look at chapter 12. Job answers, reminding them that he too has understanding and that he has become a laughingstock despite his just and blameless posture. Look at verse 1 in chapter 12. Then Job answered and said, No doubt you are the people and wisdom will die with you. But I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Who does not know such things as these? I am a laughingstock to my friends. I, who called to God and he answered me, a just and blameless man, am a laughingstock. Job understands but still wants to have his case tried before the Almighty. He is gutsy. He was really right. Look at verse uh, chapter 13. Look at 1-3. Look at through three. Behold, my eye has seen all this. My ear has heard and understand, understood it. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you, counselors, you three friends, But I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue my case with God. That's heavy. I want to argue my case before God. The type of dialogue that we see here goes on and on and on, all the way to chapter twenty-seven. But by the time we reach chapter eight, chapter twenty-eight, excuse me. So let's go forward, chapter twenty-eight. By the time we get there, Job steps back from all of this. And he reprimands his accusing friends about their handling of wisdom, as if they could actually obtain it. Look at this, verse 1 through 11. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out the farthest limits, the ore and gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives, They have forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread. But underneath it, turned up as by fire, its stones are the place of sapphires. It has the dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows and the falcon's eye has not seen. The proud beasts have have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns the mountain by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. In other words, man knows how to find all the incredibly valuable things throughout the earth. And not only can he do it, he can obtain it. He can get gold, he can get sapphire, he can get diamonds, he can get iron ore, he can get copper, whatever it is. If you go to the roots of the mountain and rip it up, you can find those things. But look at verse 12. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Job answers in 23, look at 23. God understands the way of it and he knows its place. Job really gets it. He's not backing down and he's not making it, instead he's making it very clear that the wise sayings of his sage friends, these wisdom people, are not the be-all end-all to the conversation. In fact, you remember back at the beginning of Job, what God described him as? He described him as a man who fears God and turns away from evil. What does Job say in verse 28? Look at this. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. (laughs) Like What Job is trying to say here, he's saying, listen, I know you're wise and you do all these good things and that's great. But can you really find wisdom? Do you know what wisdom is? Do you understand what it is? You can plumb the depths of the earth and get all these other things, but you can't get wisdom like that. Rather, the only wisdom that comes is from the fear of the Lord and turning away from evil. Job doesn't know it. He He didn't read his own introduction, but that's who he is. He's the guy that does those things. He turns away from evil and he fears the Lord. In other words, Job is a man of wisdom. He does understand. And that is why he is so baffled as to why he is in this situation. And these these friends and so-called friends and these wisdom speakers... They're not getting the total picture. They're not doing it justice. And so Job defends himself. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. They think they're so smart and wise, but it might just be that they really don't get it. God does, and apparently from his description, so does Job. He actually gets it. One who fears the Lord and turns away from evil. He is calling out his friend's view of wisdom. The question here, he's questioning your theology, and he's saying, your, your, your theology, you're, you're missing a bigger picture. Now, let me ask you, this is a rhetorical question, is their theology bad? It's, is it founded? Let me ask that question first. Is it founded? Yes, it's founded in the Old Testament law. It's founded in Proverbs. It's talking about all these wise sayings of obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings suffering and cursing. And so what they're responding to and what the way they're saying, it's built off of decent theology. It's, it's an understanding of the Scriptures, an understanding of who God is, that mo, no man stands before God this way. So what's, what's going on here? Is the theology founded? Yes. They're not crazy, but again, Job is looking at the bigger picture. And he's finding himself in a spot where there's, there's, there's some the butting of, of two like, heads of, of truth. We call it a truth intention, like, wait a second, how can Job really be righteous and just and be blameless and God be righteous and just and blameless and be treating Job this way? How can he do that? We should, by the way, if we hadn't read this, we should be feeling the same way. Wait a second, I thought this is what I was supposed to do. Chapter 29-31 through are Job's reminiscence of his life before suffering and how terrible this has been since God has afflicted him. But now he declares... In chapter 31 his innocence chapter 31 one i had made a co- i have made a covenant with my eyes how then could i gaze at a virgin what would be my portion from god above and my heritage from the almighty on high is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity does not he see my ways and number all of my steps then look at 31 33 through 37 Look at verse 33 If I have concealed my transgressions, as others do, by hiding my iniquity in my heart, because I stood in a great fear of the multitude, and contempt of families terrified me, so that I kept silence and did not go out of doors, oh, that I had one to hear me. He can't even finish the sentence. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. Surely, I would carry it on my shoulder. I would bind it on me as a crown. I would give him an account of all of my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. I don't, you, my life is laid bare. You can look at my whole life, every single part of it, God. I don't understand. What, I don't have any indictment on me. If I, if I Give me that written indictment. I'll wear it. I don't understand. My life shows that I've been blameless. What's going on? Again, we have this truth intention. Elihu, a new friend, is going to come along. He counters with wisdom for Job, chapter thirty-two through thirty-seven. I'm going to point out two things that he does. First thing he says to him is in verse twelve. He says, basically, you are wrong, Job, in accusing God of injustice. Look at verse twelve. Behold, in this you are not right. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why are you contend against him? God. Governs justly. You're wrong. God is not unjust. God is never unjust. Look at chapter 34, 10 and 12. He's also going to say that God governs justly no matter how you see it, Job. Therefore, hear me, verse 10, you men of understanding, far be it from God that he should do wickedness and from the Almighty that he should do wrong. Verse 12, of a truth, God will not do wickedly and the Almighty will not pervert justice. Job, God hasn't changed. He cannot pervert justice. He will not. If that's true, though, Elihu, I'm looking back at this, uh, Job knows I am right, I am blameless, I have done all these things, and yet I have been afflicted through these sorrows and great affliction and suffering. Can both be true? Who is right? Let's look at chapter 38. We've heard from his counselors, his friends, those who are speaking wisdom, quote-unquote wisdom to him, and truth. But now a new person will speak, the most important person. Verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. In other words, get ready. I will talk to you now. This is about to blow his mind. For God is not like a human. He is God. Let's look at verse 4 through 7. Instead of explaining why Job is going through suffering, which is Job's question, why why is this happening, God instead is going to recount all of his marvelous creation and design. Look at verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined his measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? And he continues on and on, going on, showing Job his own creatorial majesty. The fact that he was the creator, the fact that he was the one that opened up the skies, and made humanity, and made the trees, and made it all work together, oh, and sustained it, et cetera, et cetera. And then, God, he says, Job, how about you talk? Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 40. Go to chapter 40. And the Lord said to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. You want your day in court, Job? Okay. Okay. What do you have to say? Go ahead. Job, who has been so ready to defend himself, is going to respond. Look at the next verse. Verse 3. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of a small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. He recognizes who he is before God. He sees who God is and who he is as creature, the creator and the creature, and sees what God is saying. God answers again, though, and basically saying, "Uh, can you rule the world like me? Let's look at this. Verse 6, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Does that sound familiar? Will you even put me in the wrong Are you going to put me on trial, Job, and say that I'm wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity, clothe yourself with glory and splendor? Can you do any of these things? God is making a case for his power, his authority, his just and kingly rule as the king of the universe. Don't you know who I am, Job? Truthfully, I'm God, and as God, I owe you nothing. I owe you nothing. I made you. Including, by the way, an answering for your suffering. I don't owe you anything. Now, Job cannot deny this or stand against it. God gives him no answer concerning his suffering. Instead, God opens up him to a much larger subject, and that is his just and perfect rule as God of the universe something far more important that will actually answer job's question so how can anyone call god out on these things are true he he can't he has no right so let's look at verse 42 i mean sorry chapter 42 we're drawing to the end verse 1 then job answered the lord and said i know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I didn't understand before. I understand now, and I repent in dust and ashes. I'm wrong. I'm the creature. You're the creator. I don't understand. Then God speaks. I love this. He doesn't, he doesn't address Job. He addresses his friends. Look at this in verse 7. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according, listen to this, to your folly, foolishness, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. What's the result? Verse 10, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job, Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had once known him, had known him before, and, and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. He gets back everything. Was it say (laughs) twice as much as he had before? All of his fortunes? Job gave twice as much as he had before. But did you catch that in verse 11? Who bestowed and brought this upon him? That's a hard one to swallow, by the way. (laughs) It's hard for us to think deeply about this, and we need to. He says... And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Why did Job suffer? It wasn't because of his unrighteousness? It wasn't because somehow he hadn't confessed enough for the sins and done this and that and forgot to offer the right sacrifices? Rather, it was because of God's purposes. Do you have any right, Job, to know about my purposes? I don't have to answer you on this. I'm God. And I will always do what is right and good. And so you have no right to sit, put your justice and your blamelessness and your righteousness against my character. And that's where you're wrong, Job. So we ask the question was Job right? Yes, Job was right. God tells him this, he tells his friends this even. And he talks to Satan, and he says, have you seen my, my servant Job? One well, that is right and blameless, one who fears the Lord, and one who turns away from evil. By the way, later on, that means that he's wise and full of understanding. Job is right. But the problem is not that he disobeyed. The problem, as our story goes on, is that he didn't believe the right things about God in the end. He didn't allow God to be God and have things that he didn't understand vex him. It's very hard to understand why in the world something like that would happen. God, this is not, doesn't seem just and right. And yet, you've done it. And I know that nothing's wrong. I, I'm totally confused and I want my day in court. Well, he got it. And God says, you have no right to ask me that and to doubt who I am. And rather, what you need to actually do is trust me completely. Whether you are being afflicted, whether you're being slain day by day by day, What you need to do is trust me. Not understand it. This is a blow, by the way, to all of our, our intellectualism and our desire to understand and defend our faith perfectly. We should do that and try to do our best. But remember that God is God and we are not. Neither are any of our opponents. They're all creatures. And God is the only one that can be God. As I finish up today... Is it okay for us ever to question God? Yes, we see see it happening in trust and faith. We see David do it. We watch Job do it. But we must come out and say, you are the king. You have all things in control. You are to be trusted. And so my life, even though I struggle with this, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. It's the same thing the guy in Mark 9 struggles with. I believe, but man, it's hard. Help my unbelief. I need you to do this. And so today, I know as we sit here, that there are several of us, not you, us, who struggle with afflictions and suffering that you do not understand. I know some of you scrimp and save and work so hard and diligently save your money and work to this and work to get the right things and prepare for the future, and you cannot get a break. You can't get the job that you need or you lose a job. You're like, why is this happening? I just can't seem to get ahead. What's going on? is God right in this? It seems like I'm doing all the right things. Or perhaps maybe you have experienced the joy of child rearing far past and maybe you roast them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You preached the gospel to them over and over again. You did family devotions. You loved them. You brought them to church and were working with them and cared for their souls and prayed for them and loved them. And yet they turn from God and hate him and say, God is not God. There is no God. That does not seem just, God. We've done all these things, and we've brought Him in the way He should go, and yet He rejects you, or she rejects you. This is something my parents are going through right now. And I know that you go through things very similar. Maybe some of you wish you could just have a child. God, we do everything we possibly can do. We've done all the right things, and we love you, and we've asked you for a child over and over again and you don't give us a child, and we don't understand, and it's hard, and it doesn't seem right. We're doing all the things that you've asked us to do, and yet you don't give this for some reason or another. Or perhaps you desire for a marriage relationship. You want that, and you've kept yourself chaste, and you love God, and you want those things, and and, and you've pursued Him, and still the answer has come back no for some reason why, God? I don't understand this. My heart wants this, and I've done all these right things, and you still say no. What does this mean? I want to remind you that whatever it is, 50 million different scenarios that it seems like you are right, and you may be right, by the way, God doesn't have to answer you in the way that you think you need to hear it. God will answer you according to his majesty and glory. And by the way, if you are a child of God, for your good. Praise God. That does not mean you're going to understand him or be able to give a good definition of why the suffering comes. But our posture rather should be, this is for the glory of Jesus Christ and the gospel. I don't understand it, but all glory be to the king. And so I will repent in dust and ashes as a creature that I am and live according to what it means to follow him through his word. And again, we come back, Lord, I believe, to help my unbelief. As we go today, out from here, and tomorrow, and the next day, and years to come, remember, Job is about suffering, but it's far more about the majesty and glory of God, and that we have no right to demand of him what we think is right, but rather we ought to trust him like the good father that he is. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit's work in us to draw us near to you. We thank you for Jesus who came to earth to show who you were perfectly. God, we thank you that you were the one who stretched out the stars. We thank you that you are the one that knew its depths. We thank you that you are the one who rules sovereignly Lord, may it all be to your honor and glory. May we trust you completely. May our trust not be in ourselves or in our own wisdom, but rather in Jesus Christ. May you be our wisdom and our light in Jesus' name.